If chocolate is your weakness, the real chocolate decadence of Flava Naturals Performance Dark Chocolate can be your strength. Extensive research demonstrates the remarkable benefits of daily cocoa flavanols on brain and heart function, including a recent Harvard study showing a 27% reduction in cardiovascular death. The FDA recently issued a qualified health claim saying that high flavanol cocoa powder may help prevent cardiovascular disease. It may even be a helpful tool in managing cognitive decline. Flava Naturals Dark Chocolate Bars and Cocoa Powder deliver five to nine times the flavanols of typical dark chocolate, which great flavor and minimal sugar. Their secret is sourcing premium, high flavanol cocoa beans and processing them naturally. The result is decadent dark chocolate with the flavanol levels needed to fuel brain and cardio performance. I use it every day. To order, just go to flavanaturals.com. As an intelligent medicine listener, you can get 20% off site-wide for a limited time. Just use code SAVE20 at checkout at flavanaturals.com. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. Today, we're going to talk about digestive supplements because, well, many of us are experiencing digestive woes. Uh, it may just be that uh, with a simple addition of one or two uh, strategically implemented digestive supplements, we can achieve optimal digestion. With us today is Neil Edward Levin. Uh, he is a frequent contributor here on Intelligent Medicine because he's kind of a point-and-shoot uh, point expert on a wide variety of uh, nutritional topics. He's Senior Nutrition Education Manager and a product formulator for Now Foods, uh, which is the uh, consumer division of uh, the company that also makes a professional line protocol for life balance. Protocol for life balance, uh, one of my favorite supplement lines. Uh, we feature it uh, at drhoffman.com slash protocol for light balance. All right. Um, so, you know, without uh, enumerating all your other accolades uh, of interest, you know, we, we talked a little before uh, we joined this conversation. Uh, you, you go hither, thither, and yon to talk about nutrition in various parts of the world. Tell us a little bit about your travel itinerary recently. Yeah, I spent a week going to uh, Brazil uh, at the end of April, uh, visiting three cities to give talks, uh, Brasilia, uh, Sao Paulo, and Florianopolis. So that was interesting. My first time past the equator, my first time in South America. So I have a new continent to check off my list, whatever list that is. And uh, that was talking to uh, basically retailers who were selling supplements there. So uh, I had three different events in three different cities. Uh, you know, it took a week to go around and get there, get back, visit them all. And then a week after I got back, I went to Europe and uh, gave some talks in Albania and North Macedonia. Wow. So Al Albania, Tirana, the capital... I did a training for a hundred plus pharmacists, and then I went went through Frankfurt back to North Macedonia, which is actually the country right next to Albania, but no direct flights for some reason. <laughs> so you had to go to Germany to go to the adjacent country. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's how it yeah. works. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah, Germany or uh, Austria, Vienna would work too, yeah. but the, it was much more expensive going through there, which is actually closer. Yeah. So then in Albania, there was I was talking to, uh, I think it's the 25th Annual Conference of Family Medicine Doctors and talking about brain health there. Wow. And, you know, some interesting stuff there, uh, including... Uh, the role of nutrients, because uh, apparently in Eastern and Southern Europe, it's well known there's a number of nutrients that are deficient in the soil, most notably selenium. Wow. So uh, people in that area, in those areas routinely test deficient in selenium if they're eating local foods. Hmm. Uh, it, Just it's like certain regions that, of know, China. It was actually, uh, uh, I think, yeah. a province in China, uh, uh not Sichuan. Was it Sichuan? It might have been Sichuan. That was the soil was depleted, and people developed a cardiovascular problem. And the government solved it by giving everybody uh, by putting uh, selenium in the fertilizer or something like that. All right. So you know, I, I, sometimes eating local can. Oh, Ketchan, Ketchan I mean, province, I, not Sichuan. It was Ketchan province. Uh, you know, okay. obs- obscure knowledge. So it, it sounds like people all over the world have, have a real hunger for nutritional knowledge. And uh, that's why uh, you're in demand, uh, you know, on the international stage. And uh, so here we are fortunate enough to have you uh, for our uh, mostly U.S. audience, but people from all over the world access these podcasts, so uh, more part of them. Um, Our subject is uh, digestive enzymes and other dietary ingredients for digestive support. So, uh, you know, I'm going to be the devil's advocate here. You know, uh, millions of years of exquisite evolution, uh, humans, uh, you know, weren't using digestive enzymes until perhaps uh, the 20th century. Uh, you know, what's the rationale for, for using these products, which are, you know, in a sense, artificial to support uh, digestion? Why do we, why might we benefit from them? People are eating a, a more varied diet than they ever have. Traditional mm-hmm. diets were often prepared in ways that digested them. They would ferment things, for example, uh, or have other processes. In North America, to eat acorns, the natives would have a system of boiling them, changing the water, boiling them, something like seven times mm-hmm. to get rid of the tannins and make them edible. And then they could grind them up and make a flour and have a nutritious, nutty-type food to add to their diet. So and, and I might add that you know, I'm, a, I'm a, an anthropology major, and I've, I've actually... Uh, read with interest an article that suggests that uh, the hands of many women in some of these uh, Native American tribes uh, showed signs of arthritis, you know, basically from all the grinding and pounding they had to do to prepare the food. Interesting. Go ahead. Yeah, so uh, traditional foods, traditional cultures, traditional methods, would yield things that were appropriate for that climate, for the type of work people were doing, for the nutritional values that were available to them, where they were able to survive. I mean, obviously, they were might they might be stunted in some areas or, or not have fully uh, optimal health, but uh, certainly these cultures could survive for many generations doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, enzymes are basically catalysts. They are protein-based substances that increase the rate of a biochemical reaction using less energy than would otherwise be needed. So uh, in in our bodies, the digestive enzymes have a particular function. We do generate them ourselves, you're right. Uh, You have amylase to digest starches into sugars that is secreted in the saliva. 
you have stomach acid that's secreted when food gets into the stomach, which uh, not only helps tear apart foods to extract the nutrients, but then it activates an enzyme called pepsin, which is a proteolytic enzyme, a protein digestive enzyme, that helps tear apart certain parts of the connections between amino acids in the proteins. And then after the food is churned there for about an hour with the acid and the enzymes working on it, the amylase turning starch to sugar, the uh, pepsin helping to turn protein into a partially digested mixture that could be finished in the small intestine, that stuff gets dumped after roughly an hour into the small intestine where you now have digestive secretions from the pancreas, uh, which has a number of different enzymes. Amylase is there again. Mm -hmm. uh, you also have various proteases, including trypsin and chymotrypsin, as two of the most important ones. And you have lipase, which helps turn fats into spherical compounds that are, that can be absorbed. Uh, the way they they turn into a sphere makes them a little more water soluble uh, by putting all the heads on one end and tails on the other end, and ends up making these molecules uh, into liposomes, which are more absorbable. Like chylomicrons, uh, of right? course. Yeah. And then uh, you have bile from the gallbladder, which is actually made in the liver, but stored in the gallbladder, that helps to, kind of like a fishing net, it comes down to grab the fat-soluble nutrients and the fatty components and bring them back to the liver for processing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's, that's kind of a shortened version of this very complex arrangement of digestion. And mm -hmm. it, Now, digestion requires, for example turning these fats into tiny little spheres that are absorbable. It requires breaking proteins down into peptides or short chains of amino acids that uh, in two or three steps, they get broken down into single amino acids, free-form amino acids that can pass through the intestinal wall and get into the bloodstream. You have the starches turned into sim simple sugars or, or uh, even... Uh, disaccharides, double sugars that get broken down into single sugars using different enzymes. Amylase is, is the one for starch, mm -hmm. but they, you know, there's other enzymes breaking them down so that we can have the sugars that will get into the, through the intestinal wall into the bloodstream too. Now, if you don't digest your food properly, there are some problems. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Obviously, yep. a lot of people have digestive issues and, you know, that's the reason why we need uh, some of these digestive aids. Uh, for example, people are living longer than maybe we were uh, many uh, generations ago. So perhaps digestion that was adequate back then is not adequate now. Uh, certain nutrients are needed to make stomach acid. Uh, in particular, vitamin B3 niacin and the amino acid L-histidine are two of the components needed to make our own stomach acid. And uh, obviously, you don't get enough protein. Histidine is one of the essential amino acids. Or if you don't have enough niacin in your diet, vitamin B3, that can limit your production of stomach acid. Uh, stress affects stomach acid production. Uh, lack of sleep can affect stomach acid production. You know, so there's other factors coming into play here, too. Uh, 
uh, if someone has an infection and they get an ulcer, that can affect your stomach mm-hmm. acid production and how you feel about that stomach right. acid production. And deliberately, so, I think there's tens of millions of people who chronically take uh, powerful antacids. The acid and if you do drugs. take an antacid, you're inactivating that pepsin, that protein digestive enzyme in the stomach, and uh, that that actually tears apart certain connections between amino acids of one electrical charge and the opposite charge is broken down in the small intestine by different enzymes. So you're not able to prepare the proteins for the enzymes in the small intestine if you can't digest them in the stomach. That's another reason why you might want to supplement if you don't have enough stomach acid. And I've heard it said that uh, women uh, are more prone to uh, lower levels of certain digestive enzymes, in particular hydrochloric acid, because uh, being smaller and having less uh, lean body mass, muscle mass, uh, the requirements for protein may be a little less than men, so they have less robust production of hydrochloric acid. But as women age, uh, they are more likely to encounter these problems, and then it dissuades them from eating uh, protein because they feel like it's, quote, sticking in their craw, <coughs> excuse me, sticking in their craw, and then they, they don't eat the necessary protein that's required for uh, body repair and for fending off sarcopenia or, or muscle wasting. Right. I mean, protein's needed for just about everything in the body. All the enzymes, not just digestive enzymes, but metabolic enzymes that are needed for normal processes and building and, and tearing apart things in the body. Our enzymes are typically made from proteins, our neurotransmitters are normally made from proteins. Uh, not only muscle, but our collagen and connective tissue is made from proteins. So, you know, if you don't have proteins, enough proteins, the body starts falling apart. Uh, even our arteries require the, the the proteins. Even our bones are not just the hard masses you see in museums or doctor's offices. They're living tissues that contain lots of protein. Mm-hmm. I think uh, you know one way to understand uh, this uh, decline or deficiency in digestive enzymes is to look at the special case of people who have lactose intolerance. They lack a digestive enzyme called lactase. So uh, how does that fit into the picture? What what happens when you don't have enough uh, lactase? Well, yeah. Uh, Lactose is the milk, is milk sugar, and obviously babies will get that from their mother's milk. Um, there are some babies that are born, they can't tolerate that, and they need an alternate milk, which is, you know, not a common thing, but it does happen. And they'll give, uh, you know, different kinds of milk, or, you know, you can get a uh, milk that has the lactase enzyme added to it nowadays in the grocery store, where you can avoid that sugar. But uh, as people age into their uh, late single digits or into their teens, some people will tend to lose part or all of their ability to digest that milk sugar. And there, there are certain people who have a long history in their ancestry of consuming milk products that can digest the milk sugar into adulthood fairly well. Some people will do it less well as they age, less well as they're ill. Uh, there's supposedly the limiting factor is some, are some sulfur-containing compounds. So sulfur has been proposed as a way to restore the enzyme. Hmm. And a lot of people are not getting enough of these sulfur-containing amino acids, which are, again, needed. So the net result is, I mean, if you have uh, a deficiency of... Uh 
lactase and you consume a lot of lactose, uh, you're going to have GI problems. So you're going to have kind of a speeded up intestinal transit, diarrhea, gas, bloating. And whether it's lactase or any of a number of digestive enzymes, these are symptoms that people uh, have that may be attributable to uh, a lack of robust production of these uh, enzymes. And the food's not broken down and it kind of runs through them, uh, only partially digested. Yeah, and, and lactase is kind of an unusual example because it's an enzyme that's needed, uh, you know, historically is needed when you're a baby to digest the milk. Right. It's not technically needed when you're older. Uh, though cultures have used milk, uh, Western cultures, some African cultures, but there's other cultures in Africa or Asia that they don't digest the milk nearly as well. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a trait that was acquired, you know, maybe only five or 10,000 years ago. It's a relatively new uh, adaptation that humans developed uh, when they started with animal husbandry. But, you know, the, contemplating the idea that, uh, you know, a uh, early uh, uh, Neanderthal or Homo sapiens would run after a female antelope, tackle it, and begin <laughs> suckling on it, uh, that really wasn't happening. Uh, that dairy was not part of an adult's uh, uh, food supply. You know, it was only pastoral cultivation that kind of introduced that uh, fairly recently in human history. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's true. And a lot of what, what they were producing at that point were, were fermented yes. uh, milk products, yes. too. So yes, they, yeah, they, had, they didn't they, have refrigeration. They had, exactly. They, they learned the art of fermentation to make the food uh, more digestible and accessible. Okay, so, um, the, the, you know, it's often been said, uh, it's not so much you are what you eat, it's you are what you digest. And is it possible that some of the nutritional deficiencies that we're seeing uh, that are so rampant uh, in our population are not due to insufficient food so much as due to insufficient absorption, you know, the, the lack of bioavailability of certain nutrients within food because people aren't breaking down the food properly? Well, uh, that's also that's definitely part of it. Uh, I think there are, you know, nutrition deficiencies as we talked about earlier that you can't ignore. But yes, uh, if people don't digest their food properly, they're not going to extract those nutrients and have them available to be absorbed into their bodies, and that's obviously going to make them deficient. So digestion is important, and there's another factor there. The proteins you don't digest are targeted by the immune system. Okay. So an inability to digest your proteins, which requires stomach acid, it requires uh, your, your uh, pancreatic enzymes to be sufficient. Uh, if you don't have those, then the proteins that get in too far, especially if you don't have enough protein to maintain your gut integrity, the lining of the gut, so-called uh, leaky gut syndrome that get in, in leaky gut. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if, if the gut is leaking nutrients that don't belong there into areas that are controlled by the immune system, mm. the immune system starts recognizing and targeting them. And some of those proteins, let's say you're eating some uh, organ meat, what if your body starts targeting the proteins in that organ? which are very similar or identical to the proteins in our own organs, hmm. or other proteins that might be similar or identical to proteins in other parts of the body, that is uh, one of the potential causes of autoimmune disease, 
where the immune system is targeting our own bodies. How, how do you think that happens? It, it has to have a trigger. And the trigger is normally a foreign protein that resembles the protein that, that's inside our cells. We're not digesting it properly. Maybe we're not chewing well. Yeah. Maybe we're in a hurry and we're gobbling these things down instead of chewing them mm-hmm. where they're not completely digested. Whatever the cause, when they get in too far, the immune system says, uh-uh, this doesn't belong here, and all of a sudden you have antibodies to something that you need. That's not a good thing. I want to bring up a controversial topic because a lot of people have gluten sensitivity. And in fact, some people have frank celiac disease. They can't tolerate even minuscule amounts of gluten because it sets off their immune system. It can be very devastating. There, What's your position on the potential for supplements to mitigate gluten sensitivity? I have to, I'm going to tell you up front, I'm kind of skeptical about that, is that if you really have celiac disease or severe gluten sensitivity, I'm not sure that you can just take a pill and sort of eat your cake and have it, so to speak. Well, there are people who do that. <laughs> <laughs> they do we that. do have, an, in, in the now foods line, we yep. do have a product yeah. called uh, uh, Gluten Digest. Okay. And it does help to digest the gluten and gliadin, the, the, the proteins that will tend to cause these reactions in the body. Mm-hmm. Uh now, we do have a caution on there. Uh, I helped write this caution years right. ago when we came right. out with it that says this is not intended to be a cure for celiac disease right. or a wheat allergy. What it's intended for is if you have gluten intolerance where you're getting some kind of digestive or sometimes it's neurological symptoms from consuming wheats that this will help mitigate that, and the intention is, you know, nobody is controlling their diet 100% of the time. Exactly. You go to somebody's house to eat, you go to a restaurant to eat, whatever it is, you don't know exactly what's in there. You know, they could use wheat as a thickener in sauces, gravies, soups, uh, you know, it could be added to a lot of things where the complete list is not available to you. So because of accidental exposures, this is something you could take as a way to mitigate any harm from them. Right. So, so in other words, it's, it, there's a caution about, you know, using this, uh, you know, as a substitute for a really careful dieting. If you have uh, formally diagnosed celiac disease, you, you probably really, really want to rigorously avoid uh, exposure to gluten. Uh, but for people, the, the many people, I think probably it's about 20 to 1, people who have gluten intolerance but don't have uh, celiac disease, uh, these supplements may work. Okay, that's, thanks for the clarification. Yeah. Um, now, now, what's interesting is I saw a chart of the introduction of glyphosate in, uh, in, into agriculture yeah. from the mid-1990s when the genetically modified crops started coming out that were tolerant of, of glyphosate uh, herbicide. And they also started using it for what's called desiccating plants, right. which means killing off the plants that are not genetically modified to resist the glyphosate. I mean, what what they use it for is early in the growing season to kill off weeds instead right. of mechanical cultivation. But if you use it right before harvest, you can kill off not only the weeds in the field to help get rid of them when they're mature, but you can also help 
get rid of the uh, kind of ripen faster uh, the other crops that are not genetically re uh, bred to resist the glyphosates so that it's easier to get to the seeds and the seeds are ripening more uniformly mm -hmm. instead of kind of a staggered. But that means that uh, so everything is saturated that, in glyphosate, literally. Yes, which has a half-life of about six months. So, you know, oh. it's going to be there for a while. And yeah. doing it early in the season is bad enough, but doing it when there's actually food there that you're going to eat, and it's on the food, potentially, becomes a problem. So things that we're getting that ha that are like from oats or things that might be non-GMO but are... Uh, or soy uh, that, that's non-GMO, but it might be exposed to glyphosate during the harvest if it's not organically grown, uh, we do test them for pesticides, including glyphosate, uh, for assurance, because glyphosate actually works by chelating or attaching to minerals and starving the plants of minerals. Yikes. And if it gets in our body, it's likely to do the same thing, steal our minerals, which we get few enough in a processed food diet. Could, could this possibly explain why uh, I'm pretty sensitive to gluten in the United States. I really avoid it scrupulously. But of course, on a European trip, they say, try this baguette, try this uh, pretzel, you know, when you're in Germany, you know, dip it in mustard, uh, they, they, or, or try this, uh, you know, delicious uh, apple strudel uh, baked with wheat. Uh, and I don't seem to have any problems over there. <laughs> you know, they don't, they don't use yeah, a lot of well, glyphosate. There, there's well, I think there's two issues. One is hybridization. Hybridization of crops did result in larger crops and, and bigger protein yields, but it also created more allergenic proteins. Okay. And the same thing is happening today with the genetically modified crops. They're introducing new proteins that they're not adequately screening for as being allergens, just like they didn't for the other stuff that was conventionally bred, and it's creating more allergens. But, but I did see a chart, and this was in... Uh, when I, when about 10 years ago, I was doing a lot of lectures on nutrient differences of genetically engineered versus conventional organic foods. Mm -hmm. And the rate of reaction of actual hospital-diagnosed celiac disease was going up at a steep rate that was pretty good overlay for the steep right. so in other words, the, uh, chart the two, of the introduction two, of glyphosate. The two the curves garden, kind of ran market. in parallel. Oh, yeah, I can imagine that. Yes. Yeah. Wow. So that, I'm, I'm just wondering if the combination of hybridization, adding GMOs, and adding glyphosate seems to have increased the rate of hospital diagnosed celiac disease at a dramatic rate, all, all equivalent rates, by the way. Okay, this is fascinating stuff, and uh, we need to pause because uh, we divide our podcast into two parts, as you well know. Uh, Neil Edward Levin is Senior Nutrition Education Manager and a Product Formulator for Now Foods and Protocol for Life Balance. Uh, you can find out about their product lineup at drhoffman.com slash protocol for life balance for more information and to order. And in part two, we're going to talk about specific uh, strategies for dealing with uh, digestive problems uh, with a uh, focus on uh, digestive enzymes and uh, hydrochloric acid. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast.